after telling his story, Jesus went on toward Jerusalem, walking ahead of his disciples. As he came to the towns of Bethpage and Bethany on the Mount of Olives, he sent two disciples ahead. Go into that village over there, he told them. As you enter it, you will see a young donkey tied there that no one has ever ridden. Untie it and bring it here. If anyone asks, why are you untying that colt? Just say, the Lord needs it. So they went and found the colt, just as Jesus had said. And sure enough, sure enough, as they were untying it, the owners asked them, why are you untying that colt? And the disciples simply replied, the Lord needs it. So they brought the colt to Jesus and threw their garments over it for him to ride on. As he rode along, the crowds spread out their garments on the road ahead of him. When he reached the place where the road started down the Mount of Olives, all of his followers began to shout and sing as they walked along, praising God for all the wonderful miracles they had seen. Blessing on the king who comes in the name of the Lord, peace in heaven and glory in highest heaven. But some of the Pharisees among the crowd said, teacher, rebuke your followers for saying things like that. He replied, if they keep quiet, the stones along the road would burst into cheers. But as he came closer to Jerusalem and saw the city ahead, he began to weep. How I wish today that you of all people would understand the way to peace. But now it is too late. The, pay, the peace is hidden from your eyes. Before long, your enemies will build ramparts against your walls and encircle you and close in on you from every side. They will crush you into the ground and your children with you. Your enemies will not leave a single stone in place because you did not recognize it when God visited you. That's a reading from Luke 19, verses 28 through 44. Welcome, new life. Welcome to Palm Sunday. We are so glad that you are here joining us online this weekend. My name is Mark, and I'm the discipleship pastor here at New Life. And so if you've only been joining us online since we've been exclusively online, then you've only heard Pastor Chris. I'm one of the other pastors here on staff at New Life. And like I said, we are so glad that you're here. Listen, I would love if we could be here physically with you this Palm Sunday. Unfortunately, because of the current virus that is going throughout our country, we can't be. But that doesn't mean that we cannot continue to connect. And this online venue has been the perfect opportunity for us to stay connected to you, the New Life Church family, during this particularly difficult season. Our church, our jobs, our finances, and our security, they have all been impacted over the past three weeks. And we went and put our Holy Spirit series on hold here at New Life and over the last three weeks, Pastor Chris has preached a brand new series in response to the COVID-19 crisis. However, we have come to an end of that series, and instead of continuing in it, we believe very passionately that we have been called to preach something new, to move on to what God had originally called us to be preaching during this season. And so today, we're talking about Palm Sunday, because it is Palm Sunday, and next weekend, we're going to start an all-new series with Pastor Chris on Easter Sunday, right here in the same place at the same time. And we will be so excited to have you join us online on Easter Sunday. The church family has been incredible over the past couple of weeks. 
You've been insanely generous, incredibly supportive, and I can tell you that the New Life staff appreciates it, but more importantly, I know that God is pleased by your sacrifice. And we know that you're not just doing it for us. We know you're doing it to continue to be faithful to God in a trying and a difficult season. But I wanna thank you for all the things that you have done. And it hasn't just been financial generosity, although that has been part of it. There have been people who've come by our house and held signs out their car windows to say hello to our girls. People have spent, sent toys in the mail to our house for our girls to play with. And people have been calling and checking up on me and my family to ensure that we were well taken care of and that everyone was safe. Thank you so much for caring for us in the way that you have over the past couple of weeks. And in these past couple of weeks, we have had the opportunity to really be the church, to do exactly what it is that we've been talking about here at New Life for the past nearly 19 years. In fact, over the past three weeks, we may have had opportunities to be the church in a way that wasn't unlike the way the first church was the church. And that's exciting and it's fresh and it's new. We've had great worship experiences online. I've had incredible times of prayer and encouragement as I've read through the Psalms with you through our live streams throughout the past couple of weeks. I truly have loved what I have seen God do. And I've loved watching you become the church. Listen, the church hasn't been able to meet everybody's needs, mostly because we simply haven't been able to even be aware of them over the past couple of weeks because we haven't been able to gather together. But you as the church have selflessly and thoughtfully cared for one another. You have provided for one another's needs. So thank you, church family, for not being selfish, for not hoarding, and for continuing to love one another well. It is an example of what Jesus meant when he said that we would be known by our love for one another. That takes us really to our take-home point this week. Our take-home point is the one point that I'm going to seek to make so that we can take it and live it out in the week ahead. As we are looking at Jesus as the victorious Savior coming into Jerusalem, we have a really important take-home point. One that we have had kind of before in some sort of variation, but one that may be more important and more practical today than it has ever been in the last 19 years of New Life's history. And that is this. I will stay focused on Jesus this week. I will stay focused on Jesus this week. You're gonna notice from your outline that you can actually check out through the YouVersion Bible app that we're gonna use the word focused a tremendous amount. In fact, that's the title of this entire message on Palm Sunday, focus, focus. And I think it's incredibly important to talk about where our focus is, especially during this particular season in our history and in each of our lives. Now, I could remember Palm Sunday as a child growing up. I attended St. Peter's Church in Zillianople, Pennsylvania. And every year during Palm Sunday, it was, I think we had Sunday school kind of like right before church. I don't know if you remember that when you would come in and there'd be like the Sunday school hour and the church hour, right? And during Sunday school, we would get palms, but not like the really cool palms or like the full palms that we used to get here at New Life back when I started about 10 years ago. But we would get these just one, one piece of a palm, right? So everyone would get their piece of a palm. And then when we would go to church, the kids would get kind of called all up front and we would wave our palms and sing, sing some sort of song that we had learned like 20 minutes before that. And you know, the church family would be happy. And to be honest with you, I didn't care at all about that. 
the only thing that I really cared about was that when we would get the palms at church and have to go up front, it represented that the next week was going to be full of Easter baskets, candy, egg dyeing, egg hunts, and Easter break from school. That's really all that I was excited about. I didn't much care about what we were celebrating at church. And that continued throughout most of my life. I never really understood much of the significance of Palm Sunday. I had heard it preached about over and over again at the different churches that I attended growing up, but it wasn't until I began actually researching it and understanding some of the significance when I started preaching about Palm Sunday here at New Life. Pastor Chris does a really cool thing here at New Life. Each of us who preaches, he tends to give a particular sermon that we get to preach almost every single year. And it gets us into a new pattern of preaching and an understanding of what it means to preach the same sermon over and over again. See, it's not really hard to preach a one-part sermon in one part of a series that's sort of custom fit to what we're talking about. But it's an entirely different thing to take the same exact subject and preach it every single year with some sort of freshness and new vigor. And that I find difficult about preaching about Palm Sunday. This is, I think, my fourth time preparing a message and coming to bring it to you on Palm Sunday. And here's the dilemma. Every year, the same thing happens on Palm Sunday. Jesus commandeers some poor guy's young donkey. He climbs upon the poor thing, and he rides it into the city of Jerusalem. People massacre a bunch of trees, take off their jackets, and throw them down. Jesus comes riding through like some sort of strange king figure uh, in robes with palm trees. The religious leaders... Uh, become upset, the Romans take notice, and the crowds freak out because that's what crowds do. And then a couple of days later, the same people who are yelling, Hosanna, Hosanna in the highest peace and highest heaven, when they're shaking their palms and laying down their cloaks, yell, crucify him after Jesus is arrested. Because once again, oftentimes, that's what masses of people do. And as I read this passage, and I know that some of the same people that yell, Hosanna, Hosanna in the highest, will several days later yell, crucify him, crucify him. It began making me think of a movie from the 90s. And that movie is Men in Black. I don't know if you've ever seen Men in Black. It's about some secret alien invasion. But I think it's a really interesting movie. And there is a point in Men in Black, which is one of my favorite movies as a kid, as a kid who grew up in the 90s, where Agent K says to Will Smith... This quote, he's trying to convince him to join Men in Black. Will Smith says something to the effect of, why not just tell people? People are smart. And Agent K says, a person is smart, but people are dumb, panicky, dangerous animals. And you know it. A person is smart, but people are dumb, panicky, dangerous animals. And you know it. And it's amazing to see how much that quote applies to life right now. Over the past few weeks, we have seen some panic. We have seen some dangerous decisions, even some dumb decisions on both sides of the equation when dealing with the COVID-19 crisis. We've seen people who were all over the map. The truth is that when we get swept into the crowd, we're easily manipulated and easily swayed. And we see that of the crowd of people that surrounded Jesus as the victorious conquering king over the Romans in, uh, on Palm Sunday as he rode into Jerusalem. We see that when we get swept up into the crowd, 
we can lose our focus on some of the only things that matter. Let me say it this way. It's easy to lose sight of the one thing we need to keep our lives focused on while we're being swept up in the crowd. The crowd is fickle. It's easily manipulated. And on this particular Sunday, 2,000 years ago, and throughout Holy Week, this crowd being swept up in the moment would say two very different things. On one hand, they would praise the victorious Jesus Christ. And on the other, they would eventually yell, crucify him. Last year, we talked about some of the symbolism that goes in to what's happening in this scene. And although we did go over it last year in Palm Sunday, I think some of it bears repeating because I think it's important. So Jesus rides into the city on a donkey. Now, this may not seem revolutionary to you, or it might. It might seem honestly completely irrelevant to you. Who cares if he rides in on a mule, a donkey, or a cat? It doesn't really matter to me. Jesus rides into the city. Why does the donkey matter? Well, the donkey was a symbol. And in this time, it was a symbol of humiliation, but it was also a symbol of peace. See, it wasn't uncommon for a Roman general who conquered a city to come riding into that city on the back of a donkey. Why the back of a donkey? Well, oftentimes a Roman general would actually conquer a city through diplomacy. Now, please understand, this is the way that, that uh, Rome built a lot of their empire, and they did their fair share of conquering. But more often, what they would do is they would come to a city and they would offer them terms of peace. If the people would be willing to be enveloped into the Roman empire, there would be no reason for war. In this case, the new conquered city through diplomacy would uh, pay taxes to Rome. They would pay tribute to Caesar by burning incense and they would supply soldiers for the ever expanding and constantly growing empire. And there were actually cities and people groups that would welcome the Romans into their cities with open arms. And in these cases, although there was a show of force because the Roman legions would come marching into the city, also the ruler who had conquered them would often come in on a donkey. Because listen, Rome represented a lot more than just being conquered and paying taxes to Rome. It represented roads, it represented security, it represented peace. And there were a lot of people who wanted those things. Rome had incredible technologies. Their aqueducts would bring fresh water to places that never had fresh water. Their roads and the safety of their lands would allow people to travel and merchants to prosper. Peace in kingdoms meant that warring factions would be silenced. So some people would actually welcome them in. And so Jesus comes in in this beast of burden, on this beast of burden, because he's coming in peace. The Jews were looking for a conqueror. They were looking for a new king. What the Jews wanted was somebody to overthrow the Romans. But Jesus comes in peace. This celebration catches the ear of the religious rulers. And in normal fashion, they're ticked off. They don't like it. They don't like what they're hearing. They're upset. And we're going to go over a couple of the reasons why. Because honestly, they're kind of good reasons. The, the Jewish leaders do not like what they're hearing. And we hear them even come to Jesus and say, would you just tell these people to be quiet? And Jesus is like, listen, if they're quiet, the rocks would cry out. But let's go over a couple of the reasons that they might be upset. So first off, the first reason is that the Jewish leaders are trying to keep peace with the Romans. 
The Romans have conquered Jerusalem. They control Jerusalem. They have built a fort at the corner of the temple grounds where the governor would look out and survey the Jews to ensure that nothing bad was going on. Listen, the Jews, or the, the Jews, not the Jews, the Romans did not like new kings. They just didn't. If there was a competing king, they squashed them often. And the Jews and the Jewish leaders specifically did not want to see this happen. And we actually know this from the book of John. Oh, well, let's go over what was being said first, because I think this is important. The people were shouting, blessings on the king who comes in the name of the Lord. Blessings on the king who comes in the name of the Lord. The Jews were worried that that word king, the Romans would take notice of, and they would come down and squash this budding rebellion. I mean, if there was someone who was coming into the city who was being called king and the Jewish masses were rallying behind them, the Romans were constantly in fear of revolt inside of Jerusalem because the Jews weren't their most loyal subjects. And so the ruling authorities are trying to prevent all of the Jewish way of life from being obliterated by the Romans who are occupying their city. We know this because in John 11:50, a high priest named Caiaphas says this, you don't realize that it's better for you that one man should die for the people than the whole nation to be destroyed. And what he's talking about right here, it's better for Jesus to die than for the whole nation to be destroyed because he knew that the Romans would not tolerate a competing ruler. And if the word got out that Jesus was claiming to be king, it could mean ruin for the entire Israelite way of life. In fact, later on, when the Jews did revolt, Rome did destroy them. They knocked down the city. They destroyed the temple. So this wasn't just bark without bite. The Romans meant serious business whenever it came to competing kings in rebellion. Secondly, the crowd is shouting, peace in heaven and glory in highest heaven. These words are religiously volatile and incredibly offensive to the Jews, and there's some good reasons for that. The Jews had a name for God, but they were so wholly afraid of God that they would never even utter the name that they had. In fact, they had the name Yahweh, but what they would call God is Jehovah because they thought it was sacrilegious to even say Yahweh. It put you too close and compared you too tightly to God himself if you would ever utter the name that he had given, which in our translation means, I am. They considered it utterly unthinkable to elevate yourself to the same level that God was on. And we actually know this because at one point in Jesus' ministry, they tried to stone him to death. And in John chapter 10, verse 33, we have an account of the charges that they were bringing against him as they were preparing to stone him. It says they, which is those stoning Jesus, replied, we're stoning you not for any good work, but for blasphemy. You, a mere man, Claim to be God. Claiming to be equal with God was enough to incur the wrath of God. So when someone declared themselves to be God or equal with God, the Jews just killed them. I mean, that was just their practice. It, for pretty good reason. I mean, God in the book of Exodus opened up the earth and swallowed a whole group of people, killing them all for a less offense than comparing themselves equal with God. If someone saw God face to face, they died. 
Whenever the Jews would be rebellious and worship other gods, God would send in an enemy nation to oppress them and slaughter their people. Listen, for the Jews, when Jesus comes in and the people are shouting, not only is he king, but he's also in the highest of heavens, that he's equal with God himself, these two phrases in the same sentence to the Jewish leaders at the time made them think that their their whole way of life was being threatened, not only by the hand of the Romans, but also by the hand of God himself. For the Jews who were protecting the Jewish way of life and the nation of Israel, protecting God's chosen people, this was an immediate threat to everything that they were to protect. And the religious leaders saw only fear. They were the protectors. They don't see a victorious savior because they're never able to see through their fear. And we have had plenty of things to be afraid of in the past month. Listen, you may not be afraid of the virus itself, but maybe you've found yourself in a moment of fear about the economy or maybe about a loved one who's higher risk during this particular time. Or maybe you've had some fear about losing your job, keeping food on the table, or not having enough of the things that you think you need. When I say think you need, I'm looking at you toilet paper holders because I cannot get any. Fear can blind us. Fear makes us do crazy, crazy things. Fear forces us into a state of fight or flight. We go into a place of self-preservation and we can commit unthinkable acts of selfishness when we are afraid. Plus, it's addictive. Fear is an addictive emotion, and one of the most addictive ones, actually. This is why the news says extreme weather, urgent report whenever we're getting snow flurries. This is why Facebook pushes unsettling stories to the top of your news feed, because they know when you're afraid, you're easily manipulated. Fear makes us lose focus. This is obvious in marketing and in viral engagement techniques. When we are afraid, we are easier to sell to, which allows people to profit off off us more. And because fear is addictive, it brings us back to the same sources that are bringing us that emotion again and again and again. When you are afraid or when we live by fear, we lose our focus. You see the, the, the story going on here? When we get wrapped up in the crowd mentality, we lose our focus. And when we become afraid, we lose our focus. Enduring all seasons of life, but especially right now, during what we're going through, it's imperative that we keep our focus on Jesus, not on the mentality of the crowd and not on the fear that is displayed before us. The reality is that Jesus is victorious. He's victorious over your life. He will be victorious over COVID-19, over the economy, your job, and our sin. He is ultimately and completely victorious. He was victorious the day that he rode into Jerusalem and he remains victorious right now. Those around him were blinded by the hype of the crowd and the fear of the future. They were so blinded that only a couple days later after shouting Hosanna in the highest, they would plot to arrest him, beat him, torture him, and then crucify him. 
We're facing challenging times. And for some of us, this particular season is more challenging than it is for others. And with all that surround us, we can get swept up in the mob mentality or purchase in or buy into our fears and allow them to control us. So we must stay focused on the victorious Savior that comes riding into our chaos on the humble and peaceful beast of burden. But this is not an empty charge that I'm giving you, telling you to stay focused on Jesus this week and throughout this crisis. It's not an empty charge without practical steps. Now, I don't want this to be legalistic as things that you must do in order to please God, but I do know that our heart's desire should be to stay focused on Jesus during this time, and there are some simple, practical things that we can do in order to help us keep our focus on the right place. So between now and the end of the COVID-19 crisis, I'm going to be asking you to do two simple things, and I pick up these two simple things from a book about the power of habit called The Common Rule that was recently put out by a lawyer named Justin Early. Early? E-A-R-L-E-Y, if you're looking him up on Amazon. His book's great. So the first thing I want you to adopt is a, a, a principle called Scripture Before Phone. It's a simple principle. It's not always easy to practice, and it will change your life. It's just this, that when you wake up in the morning that you crack open your Bible before you unlock your phone. Andy Crouch in his book, The TechWise Family, says that your phone should go to sleep before you go to sleep and wake up after you wake up. So I'm gonna ask you even now to go into the settings on your phone, go to the Do Not Disturb settings and set Do Not Disturb to stop sending you notifications starting about an hour before you go to sleep and starting about an hour after you wake up so that you have that last hour and the first hour of the day without the interruption from your phone. Now, if you're thinking this isn't the time to be blocking notifications, you can go in and set it so that your favorites can get through to you and then go through and favorite the people that you want to be able to contact you. For example, the New Life staff or my wife or my family, some of them can call me at any time, even when Do Not Disturb is set on my phone. But it helps me to stay focused. It helps me wake up in the morning, which I'm going to encourage you to do, and read a few chapters of Psalms. You don't need to spend hours in Bible study. I'm simply asking you to allow God's word to have the first word in your day every day. Before you log on to Facebook, before you open up your email, before the tyranny of the urgent or the things that seem important or the new sales or fear or obligation get their foot in the door, allow God to have the first word in your life each day through reading his word. The second thing I want, to, you want you to adopt is a principle called prayer three times a day. Now, I don't mean that you need to spend hours in prayer every day, although to be honest with you, some of us quite frankly have that time right now for the first time in maybe our entire lives. But I want you to wake up and get on your knees beside your bed or down in your living room next to your couch or wherever it may be and pray a simple 30-second prayer. In fact, it could be less than 30 seconds. It could be simple as this. I wrote one for you. Jesus, walk with me today. Father, watch over me. And Holy Spirit, please fill me. I want you to do the same exact thing at lunch and once again before your head hits the pillow at night. This will help your first and last thoughts of your day be on God and not on the worries of this world. And also in the middle of the day, it'll 
interrupt the craziness, whether you're at work or whether you're worried because you can't work, whatever that may be, it will interrupt that craziness in the middle of the day, get your mind off of yourself and off of your own selfishness and fears, off of the mob mentality that's going on on social media, and it will refocus your life where it should be focused, which is on the victorious Jesus Christ. I believe that these two simple habits will keep you out of the mob mentality and keep you away from fear that will control your life. And it will ultimately keep your focus on Jesus this week. They are simple principles and simple habits to develop, but they're powerful. That's our next step this week. Our next step this week is I will keep my focus on Jesus this week by practicing scripture before phone in prayer three times a day. I will keep my focus on Jesus this week by practicing scripture before phone and prayer three times a day. Let's pray. Father God, I thank you and I praise you. Lord, I've just been thanking you and loving you and praising you throughout this whole thing because amongst everything that's going on, you remain good. You remain loving. You remain generous. You remain compassionate. Help us, Father, to keep our hearts, our minds, our spirits locked in on you and you alone during this time in our life. Be with our loved ones that are high risk, Father. Be with those who are working and those who are not. As each of us has to contend with and deal with our own things, allow fear and the mob mentality to never have a word in our lives, but instead help us to stay focused on your son who rides victoriously into our lives and saves us from our sins. We pray these things in your incredible, holy, and awesome name. Amen.
just thank you that you are the rock on which we can build our life. Just accept our song as praises to you today, Lord.